Access more. Welcome to Think Eternity with Matt Brown. And what a huge honor to have Ty Lam with me. Ty, thank you so much. Hey, Matt. Greetings. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on. Ty Lam leads the Collegiate Day of Prayer and the Luke 18 Project. Luke 18 Project's mission is to instill in the next generation a culture of prayer and fasting to contend for revival on college campuses. That sounds so good. <laughs> and uh, as a facilitator for the Collegiate Day of Prayer, which is America's oldest concert of prayer for college campuses. Ty is committed to calling a generation to a wholehearted love, pursuit of Jesus, and to a Daniel lifestyle, that's Daniel in the Bible, of consecration, fasting, and prayer. And what an amazing leader, dear friend of my dear friend, and has become is becoming a great friend of mine. Ty, this is cool. Ty has pioneered and led campus ministries for 20 years at UC Berkeley, Stanford, San Jose State, UCLA, KU, and UMKC. He came to faith in Jesus himself as a freshman at UC Berkeley, and I'm assuming that's because of a campus ministry. So I'm excited to hear that story today. We're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about the Collegiate Day of Prayer. There's a very special one coming up very soon, and we're going to talk about prayer and how God can use you in prayer to impact the people around you. And so, Ty, share with us just to start about the Collegiate Day of Prayer coming up and what makes this year so special. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, this year is is a big one. It's a uh, 200th year anniversary of this historic day of prayer that dates back to the 1800s. Um, 1823, every denomination of that day and every university campus of that day set aside the last Thursday of February as a united day of prayer, concert of prayer for college campuses. And it really was coming out of the Second Great Awakening. I mean, that that generation was seeing entire classes of students at Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Brown. Really, I mean, students were coming to college, encountering Jesus, and getting spiritually formed in those years that that they're at school. And parents were sending their kids intentionally to college to get really marked by the gospel. And I mean, that was the seedbed that this concert of prayer for college campuses um, was birthed. And the the prayers of that day, of the mothers, fathers, the the pastors and leaders of that day was, Father, what you did in in this past generation, would you do it again in this next generation? So that birthed this movement of of prayer in the church, where it wasn't just students praying for their campus or those in the church praying for the campus, but it was the coming together of the church, of the mothers and fathers with the sons and daughters in college campuses uniting in prayer for revival and spiritual awakening in their generation. And so so now in 2023, we're hitting the 200th year anniversary of this historic day of prayer. We revived it about um, 10, 12 years ago after it was dormant most of the 20th century. It went on for about 100 years, um, 1800s all the way to the 1900s. World War I happened, the world changed, and we revived it back in 2010. And we've been doing it ever since. I mean, I've seen so many cool things have happened over the past decade plus. In 2019, we saw every campus in America adopted in prayer, prayed for by name. In 2020, we saw every campus in America prayer walked. And then we're, we're hitting this, this big anniversary. And we're just believing God that, that today we would once again see every campus engaged in prayer and every denomination really turning their hearts to the next generation on college campuses. And so we're dreaming 
you know, about what's possible. You know, we're believing God for, you know, 10,000, you know, yay, more churches that would adopt the college campuses that are down the street from them. 4,300 college campuses. And so how cool would it be if every campus in America had a handful of churches that set their hearts? We want to pray for those thousand or 30,000 students that are within walking or driving distance from our from our congregation. So that's the, that's the dream this year. And we don't expect to accomplish all that this year. But over the next couple of years, we would love to see just a movement of churches that are adopting college campuses and the, the Gen Z population that is within, you know, driving, walking distance from their church. Well, this is so encouraging to hear. You know, I, I didn't fully know the expanse of what's been happening. And so I know for our listeners, this is just so encouraging to hear that there's this massive movement of prayer that's taking place. And it's hard to hear that or see that without thinking like God must be stirring people. Like it seems like there's more prayer going on. God is doing something very significant in the hearts of people to pray for God to do greater works, to pray for the next generation. And so this is also good. Can you, as we continue to talk about this, because I want people to know the details of this one coming up and how they can be involved. But just for someone who doesn't know, like explain what the Great Awakening was, what the Second Great Awakening was, and why is it so important to pray for, you know, for other people for a Great Awakening, to pray for young people for, uh, you know, a revival on campuses, just for someone who doesn't know what that is? Yeah, great question, Matt. Yeah, I think when we look at church history in America, we see these, these unique seasons where revival is the reality of the believer really being revived to the knowledge of God. Because we think about our churches today, I mean, we have many people who are in church, watching church, and I mean, praise God that they're intentional about being in the word, being intentional about gathering as believers in congregation. But but there's a, a distinction between just being ones that are saved, ones that are a part of the family of God, versus where the Lord has revived our faith in such a way that we are burning with faith for who he is. Our hearts are filled with expectation for God to move in our midst, for God to show forth his power as the lost get saved, as people experience freedom in Jesus, and where we're thriving as believers spiritually, emotionally, and where Jesus is at the center of our lives, our families, our communities. And so, so revival is the reality of the believers becoming wholehearted mm. and consumed by who Jesus is and the reality of the kingdom life that we get to be a part of. Um, and spiritual awakening is really a work of grace that really is not producible by human effort, church strategy, you know, a, a revival is a process, and um, it also is you know something that that, that God does, but it, it really is is a journey of us becoming wholehearted. And I think there's seasons where God really quickens the the just the activity of of His Spirit, so that we're becoming just in a place of wholehearted love and fervency. But when we look at church history, we see these unique seasons where the Lord in his mercy, out of his love and his grace, he visits communities, cities, nations 
where the lost are becoming very aware of their lack and their sin and and their need for for Jesus. It seems like historically, like a lot of that has come through, like it started with, it's not that people prayed and it happened, but God stirred people to prayer in a very unusual way. And that led to just this move of God. And there's so many points through history. Some of those have been denoted or termed the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, when that has happened through American history. Now, there's many other times of revival in big ways that haven't been dubbed, you know, the Great Awakening. However, the point is, it seems like a lot of times we pray for this and God moves in response to our prayer. And so we got to just be praying, not only for people to come to Christ, pray for our needs, pray for the everyday things of life, but let's pray for revival. Let's pray for awakening for the culture around us. And it's so easy to look at the college campuses. It's so easy to look at the church or at things that are going on in culture and be discouraged. But God wants us to walk in faith, to walk by faith, to be full of faith, that he can, everything he did in the past, he can do again, that he can, that he can take the worst situations and circumstances that we see in culture for instance, the college campus and, and maybe the, you know, the mindset that sometimes is put forth the college campus and he can touch the hearts of those people that seem so far from him and bring an awakening through the campus. Like, it, so, but just talk about um, the Collegiate Day of Prayer coming up. What's the date? How can people be involved real quick? Yeah, it will be the last Thursday of February is the, is the rhythm. And we're, we're believing the Lord, you know, that every campus in America would have believers, churches, ministries that are intentionally saying, I want to pray for the college campus that's near to my heart, one that you went to, one that your kids go to, one that's near to your home, one that, you know, is down the street from your house, your church, um, and one that's unengaged with the gospel. Like there's about half of the college campuses in America, there's 4,300 about half of them have no known gospel movement. Wow. As far as we know, there is no intentional outreach effort to preach the gospel, to make disciples. That's not saying there's no local bodies of congregations that are in proximity. Um, but as far as we know, based on the best data, we've gathered data from you know like 30 plus collegiate ministries and We've mapped out that half of the campuses in America have a missional engagement, and then the other half we would call unengaged. So we want to pray for, we want to invite believers to adopt a campus that's near to their heart, their home, and that's unengaged missionally. So I think the big way is people can adopt a campus in prayer. And that just means you're going to say, I'm going to be praying for this campus. And, and maybe as you pray, God will call you to be the answer to your own prayer. Because, you know, I just feel like, you know, Bible's pretty clear in Acts 17. God places us where we are, where we live, where we grew up for a purpose, for a calling, for a reason. And you think about the, the city, the community near you. You think about the needs in the community near you. Yeah. And you think about the campus near you. And as you pray, maybe God would say, you, you go reach the campus, you go start something. But the bottom line is you start praying and you, you know, go on the website and, and commit to be one of those praying for the one in your area, right. encourage the church around you, the people around you to begin doing it as well. And then you got to start getting a vision saying, how can we reach this campus near us in a greater way? How can we resource right. if there is a ministry happening there in a bigger way? How can I give to them financially? How can I you know, do other strategies to begin to touch the community around me, the churches around me and the college campus around me. And this is, 
this is the great purpose of God that each of us would be engaged. And so Ty, could you share also your testimony? Because if I'm not mistaken, isn't Berkeley like one of the most liberal campuses in America? Wouldn't that be like what people would kind of know it as? Is there, yeah, they've, they've it, kind of been it, on that farthest edge. But t- so you go to college, or t- tell us your story, like what happened? Yeah. And I don't even know. So I'm asking you, hoping it's a good story, but I bet it is. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a God story for sure. Um, I mean, Berkeley is, is mildly infamous for for its liberality, for its, you know, probably hedonism and, you know, very humanistic secularism. But I went to school there in the 90s, and I came from a, um, a refugee, immigrant, Vietnamese, Catholic family, um, did not know Jesus. My mom was, you know, I, I, she was a fervent Catholic, um, prayerful woman. And, you know, growing up in a family that had just a lot of pain from the refugee experience, from, you know, um, divorced parents, I go to Berkeley with a with a huge hole in my heart and a lot of ache, longing to fit in, belong. Um, and so I spend my, you know, a good part of my freshman year just pursuing the things of the world, wanting to be cool, fit in, belong, you know, accepted. And uh, mostly pursuing, you know, all the wrong things. And I am so, so grateful. I had a mom at home that that even in my lack and in my foolishness, I mean, she was praying for me. And so I met a handful of Christians that lived um, in proximity to me in the dorms. And along the way, they just developed a heart for me. Um, I, I don't know why or how, but I became a target for them of prayer I became a target of friendship for them. And, uh, you know, I I would have baked goods that would show up at my door. And, you know, I I got invited regularly, frequently to Bible studies, church gatherings. And I was mostly, I was mostly interested in other things. I was not super open to the gospel at that point. I was not very eager to get involved in the Christian community, but they persisted. Um, and, And like the parable of the persistent widow, uh, as, as actually the, the verse Luke 18 is about the persistent widow. I was the unjust judge that had bad eyes and um, they were persisting in love and in prayer and in friendship and in just incarnational ministry. Like they were, you know, they were living out their faith in front of me, loved well, pursued persistently. And after, I think it took me about eight, nine months um, mid spring semester, you know, on one fateful day that, you know, I get invited to a Bible study and in a moment of weakness, I say, yes, as soon as I say, yes, I'm already regretting it. Right. And so I I show up at a Bible study that I've never, you know, in my life been at a Bible study before. I had no what to expect, but it surely was a foreign experience. And, um, you know, whether it's worship or opening a Bible and I mean, it, it was totally new for me. You know, that night there was an altar call. Um, I didn't realize it, but I was the only one in the room that that was not a believer. The altar call was for me. I didn't I didn't get that. Um, I didn't respond affirmatively. I, I mostly was watching. But I left that night just with an awareness that there was more. And I, I left crying that night, not because I was wanting to, to really receive Jesus. It was mostly just, I mean, feeling the sense of lack. And I told myself I would never go back. But sure enough, you know, the next two months, I went every Wednesday night, you know, I would go and sit in the back with my arms crossed, didn't want to be too interested. But just, you know, week after week, just hearing the gospel, they were 
they were just very intentional to preach Jesus, the gospel, and to model it well. And I'm sure there's a lot of prayer that went into that for me as well. But after two months, I just got to the point where I was seeing the joy, the peace, the hope that they had. And their lives were so contagious. I mean, just seeing their love for the Lord and their love for people. I mean, it drew me. Um, I wasn't attracted to necessarily the, the religious things, but I was attracted to the people of God. And, you know, I went on a spring break retreat with them, heard a bunch of testimonies. And that was really my turning point. I came I came to a point where I'm, I prayed just a real simple prayer by myself. No one led me in a, a salvation prayer. I just one night just said, Lord, if you're real and if you changed Christy's life and Joel's life and Simon's life and Derek's life, could you do it for me? And and I went home from that retreat feeling different. You know, I got asked um, later on what God did at that retreat. And, and I told them that I just felt like if God's real, I want to know him. And everyone's freaking out. They're like, you're one of us now. I'm like, don't get ahead of yourself. I, I don't know about that. But, <laughs> but that really began just the journey of like, huh, I, if, if God is who the Bible says he is, I want to know him and I want to follow him and I want to experience the hope of this calling to be to be a follower of Jesus. And so so that was, you know, spring of 98 some 20 25 years ago now. But that really marked me. Um just coming to Christ on a college campus and when I graduated, you know, I was wrestling about what to do and I had a, you know, a background in computer science and I just felt I just really had a huge burden of heart for for my peers and I just wanted what God did in my life. Hmm. I was just jealous for all the other ties on the college campus that had never really heard the gospel and hmm. never really experienced his love. And, and I, I was, I was jealous to see what God did in my life be repeated. And so, so that, that through that catalyzed me in the college ministry. I didn't think it'd be, you know, 20 plus years later now, but, but it's been the better part of my adult life, you know, have, really endeavored to uh, to preach Jesus, to love well, to pray for the lost, to believe God for the next generations on college campuses. It's incredible to hear, Ty, and I didn't know your testimony actually until I was, you know, as I get to know you more, I'm, I'm just so encouraged. And it's amazing because here's the thing, you sh- to our listener, you share Christ with one person, you pray for and you befriend and you, you know, present the gospel and what Jesus has done in your life to just one person around you, you just never know what God's going to do. Yeah. But to think, Ty, like that you're impacting thousands and potentially even more people all across the nation and around the world with your life and your ministry, because people people knew that God was after you. And here's the thing: God's after every single person. <laughs> they call you know they use the term the hound of heaven because the Holy Spirit is pursuing people and He wants us to be on that mission with Him. Amen. And so, Ty, in closing, could you just share? Thank, and thank you so much for sharing your story. I just, yeah, I'm just thanks. so encouraged. I'm, I'm fired up. But would you share like why it's so important? Because you've talked about the the Luke 18, the persistent widow. Why is it so important that we persist in prayer and in contending for other people to know Jesus? Why is that so important? Yeah, no, great question, Matt. I think about that that verse. I think it's Joel two fourteen, and it talks about who knows if. If it's who knows if God, and that that just captures my imagination, you know. I, when I think about my own journey, when I think about just so many students I've met over the years, like we have no clue who it is that we're praying for, who it is that we're sharing Jesus with, 
and how one life that is surrendered to Jesus, I mean, what God can do with that, you know? And so when I think about, I have 20 college campuses in my city. And when I think about the 150,000 students in my city, who knows where the next Billy Grahams are? Who knows where the next, you know, missionaries are and pastors are and mothers and fathers. And my conviction is that we get to play a part in God's story, that he invites us as sons and daughters to be able to join in what the father wants to do and how he's pursuing every person, young and old, that we get to say, Father, I want to stand in agreement with what you want to do. And the fact that my prayer is actually, I mean, the promise is that, that the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. It's powerful and efficacious. And to think that like we don't have to be pastors and leaders and ministers to be able to have impact on those around us, the college students that are down the street from your house, your church, that are seemingly weak and simple prayers, like God could use, you know, like 70-year-old grandma or, you know, 15-year-old teenage student, that their prayers could shift something hmm. on their campus. And, yeah. and people could experience the power of God and come to know him because someone prayed. I mean, that's really my story is that someone cared enough to pray and then cared enough to share Jesus with me. And I think the encouragement from today is pray, 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 but also persist in prayer. Keep on praying. Keep on trusting and, and praying in faith and pray with desperation. Yeah. Pray with a deep devotion and fervency, calling on your Father in heaven, knowing that he is going to change lives through your prayers. And Ty is an example of that, not only in his life, but how he's influencing others through that. And so, Ty, thank you so much. I know people can go to collegiatedayofprayer.org, adopt your campus, please, and uh, be a part of this special 200-year anniversary. Some of these gatherings have been held at Yale, at other campuses across the country. And so what an amazing ministry. And thank you so much for your encouragement to us today. Ty, God bless you, buddy. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the Think Eternity podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe now on the new Access More podcast platform or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on social media to at Evangelist Matt. And I want to continue to encourage your faith. Learn more about today's podcast in the show notes, and you can continue to be encouraged at thinky.org. E.